Hello there. Here we have Dr. Josh Pitcher from FIT, and he's one of the young up-and-coming professor, and he's the one in charge of the guided exam. And uh, Dr. Pitcher, would you mind telling us a little bit about us and how did you get into the field? Okay. Yeah, I um, actually was actually went to UNT when I was in. Uh, it was in kind of an early entry program, and then I got my degree, and I was thinking about going to biology, and specifically marine biology. Got a scholarship to Florida Tech, um, and spent three years there in that degree. I went to um, uh, Peru for a summer to do some research in biology, and I had a, a really good time, but realized at that point it was not what I wanted to do uh, as a career. So when I came back, I switched um, tracks, and I'd always been interested in uh, understanding why people are the way they are. So I switched into psychology and found myself uh, constantly in uh, arguments and debates in classes about uh, that we could be a hard science. Uh, the opposing, and I was in the minority and thinking that everybody else kind of thought we were better conceptualized as an, as an art or, you know, there's no way that we... Um, can you know predict things and I said I think if we had the right information we could probably create algorithms that could uh, predict exactly what people would do and um, and I came from a hard science background so that was appealing to me and after several um, of those arguments I said well I'm going to prove it and I started to think of ways I could empirically demonstrate that behavior uh, did actually follow patterns and was was um, not just uh, capricious. And in, in talking about that, some folks said, you know, you need to talk to this guy in the hall. He, he sounds like he'd be on board with what you're thinking. And so I went there, knocked on the door, and uh, I was with uh, Jose Martinez Diaz. And I said, here's this idea I've got. And I, I walked out what my plan was. I said, I, I want to prove that this could be a hard science. <clears throat> and, um, and Jose said, ah, uh, We've already done that. Uh, it's called behavior analysis. Um, so in that moment, that's kind of where I found my home. Sort of bittersweet because I thought I was on the edge of a discovery, uh, you know, what I could do. And then I realized, oh, it's been done. However, from there on, I, I started assisting Jose in his and on his coursework. I started taking courses, switched into sort of an ABA track in my undergrad, graduated, and then got my master's with Jose uh, and Dave Wilder at Florida Tech. And, and since then, it's kind of what I... I live, breathe, eat, and drink. And um, so that's kind of how I got in the field. I've worked in a variety of places as far as I, I cut my teeth in a, a locked residential facility at Devereaux in the Vieira region. Um, I also ran a few of their group homes as I uh, grew up in the behavioral world. Then I was uh, the Department of Justice brought me into a facility in Kentucky that they were uh, actually, they didn't bring me in. A company brought me in to help the facility. They were under uh, investigation by the DOJ to help them bring in to higher standards of care. I did that for about a year and a half, worked in the community, and then decided, well, I should uh, apply to a Ph.D. program. And I got in and went to the University of Nevada, Reno, uh, with Linda Hayes. And that's where I kind of got – I've always been interested in the philosophy and conceptual uh, realm, but that's where I got to really uh, sharpen and refine my my uh, repertoire in that game. 
and after um, doing that during my dissertation, uh, Jose called and said that they're looking for um, an assistant professor, so I threw my hat in the ring and then came back down, and I've been at Florida Tech now for uh, three years, and loving it, and so it's kind of my, that's my story, um, and I think, yeah, I'll be here for a while. Good. Growing, so. Wow, you're everywhere. <laughs> um, okay, let's move on. Um, what is your Skinnerian message or quote that's ABA related or ABA inspired? My favorite quote is um, it's from Science and Human Behavior, and it's it's uh, behavior is a difficult subject matter, not because it's inaccessible, but because it's extremely complex. And since it's a process rather than a thing, cannot be held still for observation. As such, it's changing, fluid, evanescent, and for this reason, it makes great technical demands upon the ingenuity uh, and energy of the scientist. I think that uh, that's one of my favorite quotes. I think it's my, my signature still, unless outlooks change that. The reason I like it is that I see a lot of folks, especially early on, they're, they're learning, and even the folks I teach in my basic principles course, you have to start with very simple understanding of our subject matter. You can't start with the sophistication or subtleties that are, are really there. We, you wouldn't be able to do that. Just like you start with math with addition rather than into the, the, uh, the more complex trig and, and calculus, right? So I look at this quote as, as a nice way to really hit home, hopefully, for everybody, that our subject matter, first off, is not a thing. And we, we tend to think of behavior as a thing and stimuli as things, but we're really all about the contingencies and the relations between behavior and the environment. And it's never, we talk about it by taking snapshots and slicing and dicing that and analyzing that, but in reality it's fluid. So it's always a, a process that's ongoing. And so um, it never starts and stops. And as such, while we can stop it and point to things, we won't, by doing so we're always um, cutting out other parts and it's important to understand those are always at play too um, and I think it also hopefully will bring to bear the idea that, that uh, our subject matter is not a linear and, and it's hard to say because we say things as like A, B, C but in actuality while there is an A that is related to the B there's a whole bunch of other things that show up too and um, and so it's the, the confluence of all of that at that moment, you know, bringing the history of the organism, the context there, and then the response, as well as in what follows, that's important. So it really, I think, points to the idea that it's, it's a very complex subject matter, and we simplify it at times to talk about it, but it's important to remember that that's not, you know, the quote, the true thing. And I, I air quote the true because, again, what's that? But um, I think that's probably my favorite quote because of that. It really highlights the complexity that, that is, is necessary to have a full understanding. It's uh, a little off topic, but sounds sounds to me that you like uh, Brenner's Brenner, uh, ecologic, eco, ecological system idea. Is it similar to it? Like you talk about history, you talk about context, you talk about time. Yeah, I, I think that probably fits in nicely. I'm not uh, super familiar with that, so there there might be some points of disconnect. As usually there are, but I'm guessing that anyone that, that brings in the broad view and looks at things in a systems approach mm -hmm. is probably going to fit nicely with, with my approach. Okay, I'm going to look into that. Um, 
when and why did you decide to get your BCBA and do you remember that day you got your BCBA? I don't remember the the thing that's most uh, memorable to me is that day that I met Jose and discovered behavior analysis, probably more so than the BCBA. Um, but I do remember that was the day I decided to get, go into this field, which I also got my BCAB on the way. Mm-hmm. So um, I remember that test actually a lot more because that was before it was computerized. And um, I was actually late. I'm, 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 not a, I'm not the most punctual person. Um, and I had... I. It was at Disney, and they had a big hall. About I think two or three hundred people would sit in there, and it was paper and pencil. And you're supposed to get there, like let's say eight. I don't remember the day, but let's say it was eight o'clock. And somebody decided we lived in Melbourne, about an hour and a half away, and they said let's carpool. I was oh okay, that's fine. And they wanted me to drive, and I was late picking her up as as usual, and then we rushed over. And I'm a much more laid back person regarding those kinds of things. I figured surely, you know, we'll be there on time. And she was really freaking out. Um, but then we got there and like, they were literally closing the doors as we go running up. And, and I said, sorry, you're too late. You can't enter. And I had stuck my foot in the door so they couldn't quite shut it. I said, no, no, we're here. I think this is fine. Let's walk. And I just kind of walked in because she would already turn around walking away and like cursing at me. And um, when she got in, they gave us a test and, um, and so I took it. And I, I remember that test much more. The, the BCB I did take when it was with, I think, Pearson View. You give them the fingerprint and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting the BCBA at that point for me was not um, – I'm trying to remember. I don't believe it It had a big impact on my job at the time or anything. Like, I see a lot of people like it's either they're going to lose their job or they get a raise or something. So I can imagine it's very impactful. Uh, for me at that moment, it wasn't nearly as big of a deal – uh, the getting of the BCBA. Uh, I also, mo- we, we have a comp exam at Florida Tech that's, if you pass that, you're pretty much going to pass the BCBA very high correlation. So I think I kind of expected, like, okay, this is going to happen because this happened already. So I, I imagine the comps was also one of those more, you know, I don't know how I'm going to do. I'm going to go into this and we'll see. Um, but I, I do remember um, the BCABA just because of that. I was, I was late and I this my passenger was very angry with me so you passed did she pass i think she did i think she did um I, and i'm a fairly quick test taker because I, f- I find them aversive so i just go as fast as i can i don't go back i don't check so i got out of there uh in a few minutes and then i had to wait she's the kind of person that if you give her four hours she spends all four like checking and thinking so i had to sit then in the lobby and wait for three hours uh, three and a half hours while she finished and uh, I think she passed, so she's a, she was a smart cookie. Uh, well, uh, on the way back, did she complain? I think she was over it by then. I think then it was more of, uh, you know, how do you think you did? And she was probably ruminating on questions. I'd already forgotten them all and was like, whatever the rest of the day was, I was thinking about that probably. <laughs> when I was going to eat or something. Well, but, uh, well, it's a good story. I mean, she, yeah. she, she has something to talk about. I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's a good story. I like it. Yeah. Next time I when I really meet you in person, we should you know you can tell me which one that is that lady. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Um, can you trace your uh, ABA lineage? Yeah. Um, and I actually have a. It's a, I think fairly interesting. So my the person that, that got me into it was Jose uh, Martinez Diaz um, at Florida Tech. He the story I told you at the time met him. 
I started going with them at the time. It was before. So right now, if you take course sequence, BACB-approved course sequences, they have to be through universities. At one point, that was not the case. So people could um, do private courses, and, and Jose used to do that. And I used to go with him to Orlando and, and uh, kind of be his teacher's assistant. And I did that a lot, and then I took the courses. So he's who got me in it, and through my undergrad career in it, he was my kind of mentor. Then in grad school, Dave Wilder had just joined Florida Tech, and he became my advisor. So he is my, he was like the chair of my thesis. And so, um, in fact, my thesis was on precision teaching, and although in the thesis I used a stretch-to-fit graph, um, I also charted it on the SEC um, in my own, you know, looking at it. So in a way, Dave's sort of my chart parent, although he, I'm not sure that he would consider himself a standard acceleration charter. So he's, it's kind of a strange, because normally your chart parent is, is a, you know, a charter. But, uh, so that's that lineage. And then I went to Reno, and Linda Hayes was my, uh, I was in her lab, and she was my chair for my dissertation. And I kind of consider her my behavioral mom, and Jose my behavioral dad. And Dave might be the uncle. I mean, he had a lot of influence, but, um, you know, if I, if I look back at most of, you know, today when I make a decision, those are the, the strong influences I have. I think about, um, and my philosophy probably and worldview comes largely from Linda at this point. I'm, I'm, I've got an inner behavioral influence over everything I think. Um, I'm finding happily, now that I'm back with Jose, that it's not that they have conflicting worldviews. So it's not like I learned from Jose and then I lost it and I have Linda's and now it doesn't fit. It's, I'm actually able to see things that I didn't know, you know, how Jose viewed and then we talk about them. It, they're generally aligned. So it's a very, it's cool to have that happen. But I would say, you know, I kind of view them that she's my mom, he's my dad in the behavioral world. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to... A little personal. What was your biggest failure as a BCBA or working in the field? It's hard to pick which one's the biggest. I have lots of those, but the one that's most memorable that I, t- I think I talk about mostly was when I was brand new, um, and many analysts, behavior analysts, were an arrogant lot, and um, you know, I just, I thought I knew everything, and you know, I walked into a classroom. And there was a teacher that I think she'd been there for 30 years or whatnot. And they'd referred the kid to me. He was, was kind of out of control. It's very clear what was going on behaviorally. Um, and so I explained, oh, here's what you should do. And walked out. Whatever. I don't even remember the program was. But here's what you should do. And in my head, oh, this is very simple. This will solve it. She's going to think, wow, this guy's awesome, right? And I was... Um, I, I actually wear this facial hair now. It helps if it's when I shave. I look like uh, much younger, and especially ten years ago, very baby faced. So most people thought, you know, who's this twelve year old? But she said something to the effect of, "Well, I've been doing this for twenty years, and I don't need your help." And I then retorted. I was very angry because I thought I'd worked hard on it, and just to be summarily dismissed like that just irritated me. And I said, well, just because you've been doing something wrong for 20 years doesn't mean you should continue to do so. And um, th- they kind of escaped my lips, those words. And I realized at that very moment, uh-oh, that was not okay. And there's no way I'm going to be able to be in a working relationship with this teacher. I just blew that. And so I, you know, I 
immediately said, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll, I'll go back. I was worried for an agency. I'm going to go back to our agency. I'm going to get you a, a new person to work with you because I knew that we'd, we were done. I was angry. She was angry. You could see on her face that I, I shouldn't have said that. So that's probably my biggest failure. Um, I let my – I was arrogant about it. I didn't – I wasn't attending to her situation and the contingencies that she was in, and it was just mean. And so that's probably my biggest failure. I've had lots of others. Uh, where you know cases I thought I knew what would work and it didn't work but I, I think that's the one you know out of out of all of them that I hope people can you know learn something from because it was stupid of me and, and and just not cool I try to do less of that okay um, on the other hand what was your biggest success working in the field these are probably little ones I really enjoy and it's funny um, it's kind of hard to explain But my folks at Lodestone call it my – they say, oh, you've got your BCBAD. They, they joke about that. Um, when I – I'll sometimes I'll have a kid they're having a really hard time with, and I'll walk in, and I'll say, okay, let me see what you're – show me the kid. Let me see what's going on. I'll see if I can you know, help with this. And I had this happen – it happens quite a bit with kiddos that are really noncompliant or aggressive, and I'll walk in, I'll sit down, and I'll, 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 I'll do exactly what the staff told me they were doing. Right, like so, I ask him to you know touch red, and he hits me. So I'm like, okay, let me. I want to see what this looks like. So I'm like, touch red, and he's like, oop, red. And that happens a lot. Which um, I'm guessing part of it is that I, uh, a, I'm not worried about it not working. I just go in and I do it. So I think it's it's part of the the presence that I bring as far as I. I'm also fairly quick to you know prompt and all that jazz. But those are fun moments to, to I, I do that, and the kid just suddenly works beautifully. Um, and, and I get to see the staff like, oh, wow. It's like I brought my magic fairy dust. Um, so I have those. I, I like those a lot. Um, probably the very best, and, and I'm going to say it's my forces with me moment, but it's really my staff. I didn't do much other than pick the right staff, but we had a, a kiddo recently that was uh, an 18-year-old, very severe um, behavior, very aggressive, um, caused a lot of injuries, uh, 100,000s dollars of damage and we were kind of the last placement for her and um she was having we, we had to use mechanical restraints because just for staff uh, staff safety and we were having between two to three of those a day we implemented our our protocol uh, which included a level system as well as some act training on how to cope with uh some emotions and all that she was having and we went um almost immediately we had a few days of still a two or three dropped it very quickly and then went about 30 or 40 days with no uh, dangerous behaviors and we're still kind of in that same place and i to me that's probably the most um exciting and rewarding thing to look at because i really feel like i see a very clear change in her kind of life trajectory of where she worked she noticed at one point she looked up after uh getting upset she threw a table which does, we don't do restraint for that. It's only if it's an aggression. She threw a table. We were ready because normally that means she's about to come after somebody. Threw a table, sat back down, regained control of herself, didn't go into restraint, got back on track. And as soon as she got back on track, she looked up and said, I don't have to hit people. I can get a job. We've been talking about jobs before. And you could tell at this moment, she realized, I can really do this. And, and that was really rewarding. So that's probably my biggest I've got lots of little ones. I can do little tricks and kiddos do stuff for me and I feel, ha that's cool. And, you know, staff like, wow, you're really good at this. But the big one was, you know, looking at her saying that and saying like, 
I really feel like we impacted her life in a really, really positive manner. Congratulations, I'm sure you did. And, well, since you said the force is with me, so uh, what was your the force is with me moment, your, hey, this is my thing, ABA is my thing moment. Was that you, the one? Yeah, I mean, I think that was, um, I would say so, that and seeing my team do that, I think. Um, and, you know, this is really going to work out. I opened this this center that we just have recently um, and handed it off to recent grads and said, you know, this is your baby, run it. And I'm, I'm here to support, make sure things go okay. But, you know, I always wonder, was that a smart idea? Is, is this going to be? And so seeing uh, the, the team do that made me kind of realize, yep, this is, it's worth, it's been a lot of um, investment, both, you know, financially as well as, as just energy. Um, and then things like that, that, yep, this is, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be doing this. They're supposed to be doing that. This is just, you know, just right. We're 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 uh, right on track for what everybody should be doing as far as you know life patterns. It's, it, so that's probably the, you know, you question those kinds of things. But those moments when we have these big successes uh, and the success because of all that of the hard work of the team, um, kind of brought I think to bear. Like, yep, that was that was a good idea. You did this. It's you know good thing versus ooh, I've made mistakes too and this is not one of them so um, I think that would probably qualify congratulations so um, in your opinion what is the most important thing that a BCBA should learn and master I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat and say there's probably two things um, one I think they should learn and master um, the principles uh, underlying everything I see sometimes people kind of skimp on their study of that they're looking more for the techniques and um, how to do things and I see those same people when they're confronted with novel situations uh, not not know what to do so they're, they're using it as a toolbox and their toolbox is going to eventually not have the right tool in it if you've got a full mastery of the behavioral principles which means understanding some of the basic work as well as the applied work then you're going to be able to, when you run into a, a problem that you don't have a tool for, you know how to make that tool, and then there you go. Um, and second, so, so that's part of it. That, if you have that foundation, um, I think you'll be in, in really good shape. Secondarily, um, I think it's important for BCBAs to know and accept that they don't know everything. We tend to have a bad habit as a field of, and it's easy to understand because, you know, we say, well, what's our field? It's, it's what people do, right? So as such, I'm an expert on everything everybody does. So if I need advertising help for public relations, well, that's behavior. And so people think I can do that. Or if I need help um, running a business, well, that's people's behavior. I should be able to do that. But there's other – it's important, I think, to recognize that other people have spent – an equivalent amount of time understanding a very narrow scope of the world and we should lean on and, and uh, understand that they've got expertise that we could utilize instead of trying to you know think we can do that um, I see that happen a lot if, if you can learn to interface with all these other professions in a positive manner I think it enhances everybody's practice um, I, I was in the, in the facility in, in Kentucky, my role actually wasn't a behavior analyst. That wasn't my title. I think it was called interdisciplinary team leader. So I had a team. I had an OT, SLP, a dietitian, MD, a psychiatrist, 
a nurse, then a home manager that manages staff, and then two staff members that were frontline staff. That was my team, and we had meetings. And it was probably one of the more um, important jobs in my life in that it taught me to understand all of the angles that everybody was coming to and learn how to integrate into a cohesive team the diversity that shows up. And sometimes we have, in other professions, um, ideas of what works that are uh, contrary to each other. So learning how to deal with that sort of OT is a pretty good example of that. Some OTs are against sensory integration treatment, some are for it, and sensory integration doesn't work um, on the same principles as behavior analysis. So learning how to deal with that without um, alienating that team member is, is a critical feature. So learning how to, so in short, that was kind of meandering, learning how to interact with other professions, understanding they know things that maybe we don't, and learning also how to bring all that back into us, what we know to make, to kind of make an emergent better product than just the sum of the two, two parts. Cool. Well, yeah, I think dealing with people is hard. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, um, okay, so what is the biggest misunderstanding term, misunderstood terms or procedure of ABA? Can you elaborate on that? By the public or by behavior analysts? Uh, the stage is yours. You can go both. Okay. I am here to learn. There's a lot. <laughs> this is a loaded question for me. I could, I could spend a lot of time on this. Um, and my, my poor principal students get to experience it occasionally. I'll go on, on little rants. Yesterday I talked about the problem with people thinking response cost is synonymous with response effort, right? So within the in the field, there's, there's misunderstandings like that. Um, so what I'll do, out of the field, I think the most misunderstood is probably timeout. Um, and people not realizing that timeout is only a uh, punisher if it is timeout from reinforcement, not timeout from that moment's location, which tends to be. Um, and and as such, it's a it's a good procedure if it's functionally derived, but if it's based on you know topography, i.e., hit someone, put him in timeout. If he Christ put him in timeout, versus looking at what's the situation. Um, you know, that can lead to all sorts of big problems. So I, I'm going to probably hang my hat on that. That's probably the most misunderstood procedure from our field. Um, now, within the field, you've got the response cost, response effort. Um, that I think, I think the biggest misunderstanding in um, maybe not terms, but our um, idea of a term is the stimulus and people think of stimuli as things uh, or objects and so they'll talk about and I see questions like is a green light an SD and the proper answer to that should be in relation to what because if you don't have the response it's not anything it's it's a it's a green light but we uh, we kind of reify these stimulus functions as the object and then talk about the object. It's very easy to do that. And I think that leads to a lot of misunderstanding of how things work um, behaviorally as well as missing things on, on tests and questions. So understanding that absent any response, there cannot be stimulus or stimuli. Um, and absent any kind of stimulation, there's not a response that they're, they're in interrelated thing that always they have to show up as a unit and the unit is the relation that's what we're actually studying 
we, we call it behavior, but in reality, we study the relation between the specific response and the specific things that become before and after it. So I'm gonna go, maybe that's my answer. What, what's a stimulus, and that it, and the answer is that it's not an object. Come to think about it, I I think I've seen you answering someone's question on the study group like that in relation to you. Now right. come to think about it, you do it a lot. But yes, you know you got us thinking. That's real good. I mean, we need to think. Okay, um, so. What is your must-have ABA book? That's really hard because I've got a bunch of books, and I like them all. Um, and I actually just, someone on Facebook just said, I had $100, what book should I get? And I really had a hard time figuring out what to even suggest. Um, I'm probably going to land on Skinner's Science and Human Behavior um, just because I think it... If someone reads that repeatedly, and you can kind of reread it and still get new stuff every time, um, it's very dense and the ideas that are new in it. If someone really gets that, the rest will follow, I think. And I, I um, so I'm going to probably say that's my must-have book. And and now I cheated. That's not really an ABA book. That's more of a. a philosophy book. If I wanted to go to a, an applied book, I would then point to, probably now what I would point to would be, I guess the Cooper is a nice overview for the applied book, but if I had someone that said, I want to be in this field, I'd say science and your behavior is what you need to be reading to start, just to get, well, maybe not to introduce you, that might scare some away, but if you get this, you'll be in really good shape. It's kind of Got it. So yeah, I, I think I have that book somewhere. Oh, it's on my phone. I've been trying to read it. Just <laughs> takes forever. I'm a slow, slow reader. Um, can you give us an example on how you apply ABA in everyday life? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, yeah, and that's that's easy for me because it's not a job. <laughs> it is my life. So I just look at everything I do that way. But um, for instance, I'll give you one thing. I was doing um, for my dissertation. I was ABD for two or three years, which means, and I'd actually collected the data, I had it all, I just didn't write it, right, and what was happening was, and they had hired me ABD, so I had classes I was teaching, there was very strong contingencies that were immediate, so if, if I didn't go to class, or I didn't prepare a PowerPoint, or I didn't grade stuff, by the end of that week, I would have gotten some aversive uh, consequences, uh, compared to, if I didn't write my dissertation, or I didn't change this chapter, um, that didn't really have any impact uh, for a while. Now, as I progressed in, um, as a faculty member without uh, finishing, they started saying, if you don't have this, you'll be fired. That started to change that game a little bit. But one of the things that I did, so I looked at that and I often thought to myself at the end of the day, I didn't do any writing day and I didn't like that. How can I do this? And I would wake up, I'd actually wake up at, uh, you know, four o'clock in the morning, I'd go to my computer, I'd sit down to write, but then I'd go and do other stuff. There's a bunch of stuff on my computer that I can do. Um, that's all productive, so I feel good about doing it, but it was not my dissertation. So I bought a, a real cheap computer like Walmart with no internet on it, and I put it in a completely different place and set that up as my writing computer. Um, so I was using the idea of stimulus control, mm -hmm. and, um, and I made the mistake at one point on my main computer of installing uh, StarCraft, which was a game I played... Uh, StarCraft 2, I guess, is the one that's on now, whatever. I used to play the first one about 15 years ago when I was in, uh, when I was in high school. 
it showed up somewhere. I thought, oh, I wonder what that's like if, if I still like it. So I and I played it. So I played that at that computer. And I'll, I'll tell you, it was funny because the, the minute I had done that, now when I'm working, there was a strong draw. To, let me just play a quick game. You know, that turned into like two or three hours sometimes. So I, uh, I uninstalled that, but still had myself, I found myself doing a variety of other things. So that's one of the things I did is I, I said, well, part of my problem is when I sit at this computer, I, this computer has historically been, um, you know, a stimulus that evokes emailing, um, grading, making PowerPoints, Facebook, searching for things, right? So I put it in a different place, um, and that was kind of helpful. I also hired a computer programmer because that wasn't fully helpful and I wanted to see. And I have a program. I still have it. I call it Writer Blocker. It uh, locks your computer down until you've typed so many words that you set your own goal or until you've done – you can say I've worked in Word for so many minutes or type. So I, I use behavioral principles to help with that and, and develop that and had actually had some of my, my students in my lab use some of that for writing too. Um, so that's probably one example of how I do it. My teaching generally has lots of, of behavioral. I do like SAF meds, uh, active student responding every few slides when I'm, I'm teaching. We do, um, I, I make sure there are contingencies that you have to answer discussion questions in class based on the reading. So you can't have, you can't do that had you not read um, and, and things like that to make sure that, uh, so I'm, I'm constantly looking, what are the contingencies I can put in place that are going to make sure these students leave this class with the skill set that I'm, I'm, you know, purporting to instill in them. Cool. What is your biggest concern in the field? It could be anything. My biggest concern is that we are getting away from our basics. We're, we're shifting into too much autism professionalization. And if we are not careful about that, we, uh, when autism goes away as a major funded thing, whether that, you know, the public gets sick of it and stops caring. Right now, we've got a lot of support, but at some point, I'm guessing either the public will be done and that won't be as important anymore and you'll see the, the support slide away, or there will be some sort of a medical thing that, that helps a lot. Um, at some point, though, I think that the, what we're playing with with autism right now is not going to be there. And if we don't uh, continue to push our research into areas besides that, we are going to suddenly have a whole bunch of analysts and no jobs. And um, so I, my biggest concern is that we're getting a little too narrowly focused in our, you know, looking and planning on things like that and not attending to what are problems in the world at large. We also tend to be insular such that we have created a very strong us-them dichotomy and then talk to ourselves about how bad it is for us because of them and build walls instead of bridges. And in, and if you look at the rest of science, it's a lot of interdisciplinary work. And if we don't break out of that idea that we know everything, nobody else knows anything, and we shouldn't talk to these other people because they're, you know, mentalistic, we're going to be so insular that we'll, you know, we've, we're already sort of in the ghetto, right? There's not, we're playing with 2% of the population. Um, if we don't kind of broaden out and say, you know, we can actually talk about those things that you're talking about with, you know, mentalistic terms, and we actually, some of what you're doing is pretty good stuff. We can bring that in and, and help with that. I think we're going to get very, very narrow, and um, at some point that's going to dry up and we're going to have a problem. So that's probably my biggest concern is, is making sure that 
autism isn't isn't the tail wagging the dog. What is your best advice you have received? Hold everything lightly. Um, it's probably the biggest thing. So whatever ideas I have, whatever you know, research I've read, understand that any moment can go away because it's we discover something that makes that not quite right. And, and in fact, that's. There's several statements. I don't know if they'd be called advice, but the first, I'll, I'll give you a, a little story. Those are fun for for podcasts. I went to Reno, so I, I graduated with my master's degree. I was a BCBA. I thought I knew everything. Now, by then, I'd learned to be much more humble. So I wasn't that arrogant. I know everything. Don't listen to anybody else, because I'd learned about the whole team thing. But I did think. I remember thinking, I'm going to this PhD program, and I don't know what I'm going to learn, because you know, I'd mastered. Pretty much everything I thought there was about the field, um, so I, I was kind of curious. What's this going to be like? Because I don't really know what I don't know. And I got into um, and I audited one of Steve Hayes's his RFT class. So I didn't need it for credit, so I asked if I could audit. I didn't know at the time he doesn't. I don't think he likes people auditing, but I just showed up because I didn't need it. And the first day, um, I'm sitting there, <clears throat> you know, excited. What am I going to learn today? This this seems kind of new. I'd never heard of RFT actually before. That shows you how little I knew. But I thought that I knew a lot. But um, so I sat there, and he starts. To, and the first thing he says is, you know, who's heard of Skinner, right? So I was like, I have, I have. Well, who's heard of Jack Michael? I have, I have. He's like, everything that Skinner said is wrong, and Jack Michael doesn't know anything, right? So that was the first words, and I, my, you know, I was getting angry. You feel this, my heart, like, well, how dare him say this, right? And then he, he turned. I said, who here is feeling this in their, you know, their hearts racing? You get it? You wanna, you wanna yell at me? You know, and the hands go up. He goes, "That's not science." Um, he said, "You've got to be prepared for everything that we know to be wrong, and you've got to be able to let go of that." And when we find evidence, the whole game of science is knocking down our ideas and showing how they're wrong to build up the new ones. Um, and that was, to me, an extremely invigorating moment. Um, oddly enough, I had a, a friend that was also from Florida Tech. She did not find that. Uh, she didn't like it at all. And so it was very interesting. But to me, I thought, well, this is cool. I never thought about it. And he's right. I, I, I shouldn't be – just because Skinner said it doesn't mean it's right. I mean, be weird. And I hope that everything he said isn't right because we're done at that point. It's boring. Um, but I was holding on to whatever Skinner said, you know, as, as law, like, you know, almost biblical. He said it must be. And so that was kind of the, the biggest thing. Hold everything we know uh, very, very lightly. And understand that even though, like Skinner, for instance, brilliant, way ahead of his time, continually amazes me with how right he is about certain things from so long ago, has to be wrong. Or at this point, we're dead. We're not a science. We've become a religion around Skinner. And so I think that's probably the big, the, the best advice. And it's served me well. Um, I've, I've, I've generalized it to um, most everything in life. I try to just hold lightly um, and, and be. We call it psychologically flexible, so that when things show up, I'm not too uh, fused with what I think it should be, and can roll with and say, oh, "Okay, how can I make this work for me now?" And so that was that's probably the best advice, and I pass that on to everybody. All my students know, hold it lightly. Mm, good one. So, uh, any you know those surprise ending at the movies don't shock you anymore? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they shock me, but then I'm like, oh. I'll hold that lightly too. Oh yeah, I still get that. Although I do find some of these movies recently don't—they seem to be fairly predictable, even in their twists. But occasionally, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised, and I didn't see that coming. 
Well, don't watch, uh, don't watch the em- Empire, uh, the Empire Strikes Back. Uh-oh. Be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, since you, um, I thought this coming question would be a curveball to most people, but from what you just said, I don't think it would be a. I really want to hear what you would say. Imagine you wake up tomorrow, all of your client population is gone. And but you still have all the knowledge you have in ABA. What would you do? Okay, so I'm gonna we'll have to kind of ID who my client population. That's a little tricky. So my grad students are kind of who I consider my clients. So if they're all gone, there's no more professor uh, available. So that's that's gone. What would I do? I think I would. Um, hmm. uh, well, I've, I'm I'm kind of an entrepreneur, so I'd probably continue in that vein. I have right now about five things that I want to do that are just tabled. Um, one of them is um, the div- I've, I've got I had a, I hired an engineer that an electrical engineer. He created this thing that um, basically modulates the TV signal based on exercise, and I call it the Fat Buster. And basically, what it does is if a kiddo is exercising, he gets to play a video game, watch TV. If he stops exercising, it dims down to black. Um, Right, and I wanted to run into um, run out some experiments to find a good algorithm to get a baseline, and then pick how to safely get the person. Because one of the problems with behavior analysis, if you're not careful, we can amp up schedules and get some really high responding, but sometimes that's not safe. As far as so exercise, for instance, a kid that never exercised suddenly I have him uh, riding a bike really fast for a long time that could be dangerous. So. Um, I have an idea, and think, this would be neat if I, had a, I need an MD and partner with them. Say, let's do this. So that'd probably be the first thing I'd do, just because I think it's it's fun. I think it's marketable. I think it would it would be impactful to a big problem. Um, I might go into com- some looking into computer programming. Uh, I've, I've got several things that if I had time, I'd be doing uh, in that vein. So I probably well, probably one of those two things would be the the first thing. Maybe maybe write write more. No. Um, okay. Let's wrap it up. So, any last piece of advice, and how can we find you? Well, you can find me at joshpritchard.com. Oh, that is a. I haven't updated that in a while. Um, I'm also on Facebook and listservs. I kind of learn. I, I, I that's one of my downtime things. I can kind of go and, and just kind of veg out while I answering questions and thinking. Um, that's how you find me. Last piece of advice. Oh, you can email me to josh at joshpritchard.com. Uh, my last piece of advice, I think, is to find yourself a strong behavioral community, whether it be online or in person, um, and make sure that you're constantly kind of pushing at your boundaries so that you don't get stagnant um, in practice, in conceptual thought, um, and then, of course, you know, hold everything lightly. Um, as you move got it thank you thank you Dr. P can we call you Dr. P I've yeah. been calling you for the longest time I think one of these days you should trademark that should just buy that domain as well just talk to <laughs> P alright thank you so much and uh, out Well, I messed up. I said, the very beginning, I said, 
can you tell us about us? That was silly, but hey, I was nervous. What can you do about that? Anyways, that's all, folks. And uh, go say hi to Dr. B for the chat.